to The Wow, the podcast that will provide you with the tools you need to thrive in today's society. If you're new here, then hello, I'm Georgina Beasley, your host, and if you've listened before, then welcome back. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work in the suicide prevention space in a marketing and communications role in Canberra. I spend too much time socialising at the dog park with my lovely border collie Murphy and enjoy pizza on the couch with a glass of wine most Friday nights. But today we have Mimi from Agenda Agenda joining us to discuss sex, gender and sexuality. We break down the binary ideologies around sex, gender and sexuality to better explain where and how the queer community intersects in the traditional and outdated landscape of heteronormativity. Mimi also explains the use of pronouns and their importance along with ways we can support and show our allyship to the queer community. I really can't thank Mimi enough for joining me on today's episode. As a cisgendered heterosexual woman, I found this to be incredibly valuable. I think this episode should be listened to by everyone so we can all continue to create safe and supportive environments for the LGBTQI plus community because we still have such a long way to go. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, then please remember to subscribe, leave a review, share it with your friends. And if you haven't already, you better come join us on Instagram at thewowpodcast underscore. Hello, Mimi, and welcome to the Wow Podcast. I am thrilled to be chatting with you today. Hi. Before we jump into LGBTQI plus allyship um, and conversations around the queer community, I do just want to start with an acknowledgement of country. So I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Ngunnawal people, the tradition the traditional custodians of the land both Mimi and I reside on here in Canberra and pay my respect to the elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners here today. So, Mimi, you work for a fantastic company called Agenda Agenda, who we will probably actually refer to as just AGA. Um, That's the abbreviated term. Yeah, exactly. Um, It is a gender rights organisation and I actually came across you because you delivered some fantastic, um, I I think it was a... So it was an... Uh, awareness and inclusivity training uh, for organisations to help uh, make the workplace more inclusive. Yeah, exactly. And it was Mimi's first time presenting that and she just did such a fantastic job. We had no clue that it was actually her first time presenting. I was so nervous. (laughs) Well, I just fell in love with everything that you had to say and thought that it was, um, I really needed to get you on the podcast because I thought that the messages that you were sharing and just the awareness and the educational aspect of what you were talking about was so crucial and that everyone should actually have this knowledge. I'm excited to kind of delve into it today, but could you start with maybe sharing a little bit about yourself? Thank you. Yeah, of course. So my name's Mimi and my pronouns are she and they. And as George mentioned, I work at AGA. So it's a transgender diverse and intersex organization here in the ACT. And we do a whole range of work in this space. So we run a lot of community events. Uh, We run trainings for different organizations to help make them uh, a more inclusive workplace. Uh, We do a lot of peer navigation 
And we also work on defending human rights of transgender, gender diverse and intersex people by trying to change and push legislation in the ACT and nationally. Uh, on a bit of a personal note, I have just finished a double degree in security studies and Middle Eastern studies at the Australian National University. And that is completely different to what I'm currently doing. <laughs> that at is AGA. so different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the reason I got into this space is from my own lived experience as a lesbian and as an intersex person. How long have you been with AGA for? Yeah, so I first got involved with AGA in August 2018, but officially came onto the books uh, at the end of last year and have been working with them uh, as a peer support worker and working a lot in, in policy change as well. I mean, I really commend you for just spreading awareness and doing such great work with the company. I think they're just, it's its so fantastic to have such great organisations like this involved doing all the hard work because there's obviously so much work that still needs to be done in terms of shining a light on the queer community and, and making sure um, that, you know, they have the same rights as um, heterosexual, cisgendered people. Um, and it's just so fantastic to have people like yourself advocating for that and, and raising awareness of it. Definitely, thanks. <laughs> so could we start, let's start like with a very basic, question and that is the LGBTQI plus acronym. Do you want to start with just breaking down what each letter stands for? Because I think most of us would know LGBT, but the QIAM plus might be something that some of us are a little less familiar with. So if you wouldn't mind filling us in on that. Definitely. So uh, a quick little rundown. So lesbian is the L, the first letter. And that is for a term used to describe women who are attracted to other women. The second letter is G and G stands for gay. And that is for men who are attracted to other men. Uh, and that can also be used as women as well. So I often refer to myself as being gay. Uh, B is for bisexual, and that's a person who's attracted to more than one gender. The T, and that stands for transgender, and transgender is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and expression is different from the cultural expectations based on their sex that they were assigned to at birth. So transgender is basically the opposite of cisgender which is another term we all may have heard. The I in LGBTIQ plus isn't invisible. Um, it <laughs> stands for intersex. And intersex are people born with a variety of differences in their sex traits. So this could be in their reproductive anatomy, in their hormone production, in their sex organs, gonads, chromosomes, uh, hormonal responses or primary or secondary sex characteristics and there's over 40 different variations of of sex um, not just male and female which is really interesting that's so fascinating yeah then we go I'll quickly skip over Q and go on to A and the A stands for asexual and this is an umbrella term for experience for people who experience no sexual attraction or a small amount of sexual attraction in certain instances. 
And then we have the plus, and that is to encompass the, our whole range of and diverse rainbow community. So this could be pansexuals, demisexuals, agender, and, and everything else under the rainbow. And then finally, we've got Q, the letter I skipped over. And Q stands for queer. So queer was originally used as a very negative term. So in the back in the olden days, it meant that you were sick or strange or odd or, or kind of weird. Um, but it was reclaimed by the queer community, first by the gays uh, in the gay rights movement. And it's now come to represent the whole LGBTIA plus community and is used by anyone who sits outside of heteronormativity. So that's anyone who isn't endosex, cisgender or heterosexual. What I like about queer as well is that there's a lot of fluidity within our community. So sometimes people prefer to identify themselves to, as queer rather than trying to pin a whole number of labels on themselves. So it's a lot easier to just say, hey, I'm queer instead of trying to explain your identity. Right, that kind of makes sense. And I suppose for many people who maybe are still figuring out, um, you know, what they want to label themselves as, is queer usually a great starting point for acknowledging that they do feel as though that they um, see themselves in the community but are still trying to figure out where exactly that they fit in? Definitely, definitely. And I think it's also great at creating a bit of a community bond and I think, yeah, saying you're queer really identifies you uh, to other queer members, no matter if you're trans, bi, ace or, or anything under this, this very big community. Mm. I would love to talk a little bit more about queer, intersex and, and asexual because, I mean, it sounds like this acronym is made up of not only um, aspects of gender, aspects of sexuality as well, and that there is that real form of fluidity between all of them that, you know, I guess moving away from what we are told by scientists as being like you're only either male or female, I love the fact that you shared um, that there's actually 40 different genders um, or is that yeah, 40 different sexes sexes sorry do you mind yeah. talking to the, about that a little bit more I had no clue yeah so um usually I've got a whiteboard and pen for this <laughs> but I'll try paint you a bit of a picture uh and this is something that we run a lot in our trainings to understand the the kind of diversity within our community so what I'll be talking about is the wedding cake model and this is to help understand the LGBTIQ plus community better and really understand the difference between sex, gender and sexuality, which are three completely different aspects of someone's identity. So if you imagine a three-tiered wedding cake and very traditional with white frosting and two little, um, a bride and a groom on top, we've got the bottom tier and that is sex. And sex is either male or female, or that is at least what we're taught by our society. So it's kind of like when a baby is born, what does everyone ask? Is it a boy or a girl? Yeah. Is it a boy or a girl? Exactly. And how doctors identify this is in a number of ways, usually by looking at the baby's genitals, but also looking, they can look at chromosomes, hormones, gonads, this whole, all of the, the biological sex traits. 
But by just identifying male and female, it leaves out a huge percentage of our population, and that's intersex. And intersex are people who are born, as I mentioned, with variations in sex characteristics. So they could have XY chromosomes, but appear um, female in all other characteristics, like their gonads and their, their genitals and their hormones. Um, and there's a whole range of variations. So yeah, exactly over 40, 40 different variations. And if you're not intersex and you're typically male and female, that's what we call endosex. And then we move on to the next layer of the cake and that is gender. And gender is how we see and identify ourselves and express ourselves to the world. So gender is socially constructed roles, behaviours and expressions um, that we have in our society. So really what we think um, makes girls girls and what makes boys boys. Um, I often look at kind of gender stereotypes. So why do men have to have short hair, drink beer and go on the barbie? And why do women have to drink Chardonnay and have long hair and do their nails. Um, these are more about like your gender. So how do you identify and express yourself? Whereas sex, the bottom tier is really your chemical makeup and your biology and, and how you were, you were born really. So talking about gender, someone who's born a male and assigned male at birth will grow up to be a boy and then a man. And someone who's assigned female at birth will grow up to be a girl and then a woman. But this kind of traditional pathway that we've set in our society excludes anyone who identifies as transgender, gender diverse or non-binary. And this is anyone who lives outside of this um, traditional construct of, of gender. So a transgender woman could be someone who was assigned male at birth but their identity, um, who they are, their gender is female and vice versa. Um, and non-binary are, are really people who live outside of this gender binary, who, who don't really, who can maybe not identify with a specific gender at all, or may identify with certain genders on different days. I'm sure we've all experienced days where we felt um, more female or more male or, or all of these different different aspects so opposite of transgender is cisgender and that is the binary that we have in the wedding cake and then the top tier of the wedding cake is sexuality and we're all taught and expected almost to be heterosexual in our society to be assigned male grow up to become a boy then a man and marry a woman Exactly, exactly. But heterosexuality really leaves out anyone with diverse um, sexual preferences and, and sexualities like lesbians, gays, bi's, pans. Basically, the wedding cake model is a really good way of explaining heteronormativity in our society. And I know it seems like a very scary word um, to a lot of people, but heteronormativity is really a way of explaining how the social norms and how we're expected to grow up and identify and who we're expected to be sexually attracted to. And anyone who lives outside of this heteronormative um, norms can 
be identified within the LGBTIQ plus community. And that's really what groups us all together. So that can be if you're intersex, you're transgender, or you're, you're a lesbian, or it could be a whole range of these. Yeah, and that's hopefully a good explanation and paints a better, better picture of the differences between sex, gender, and sexuality. Yeah, and how they kind of all work together as well in that kind of model. What I might do is um, get an image of that model so I can share it on Instagram with our followers so you can see the visual element that Mimi is talking about there. Um, I think it paints such a good picture of, I guess, the broader categories of like what you're saying of gender, of sexuality and sex. If you feel comfortable, uh, do you mind sharing a bit more of your own personal journey within the LGBTQI plus community? I know you've mentioned at the beginning that you're lesbian and that you are intersex. How's that journey been for you? Yeah, it's been long, um, <laughs> but it's been good. Uh, the destination so far is amazing, but it has been a long and rocky journey uh, like it has been for many many individuals in the LGBTIQ plus community. So mine started very young. Uh, my journey actually started when, when I was born and doctors found out that I was intersex and my parents were told that I had variations and it made me an intersex child. And I first grew up not knowing much about this part of my identity but it was really when I was 12 years old and my parents sat me down and they said, maybe you've got 17 beta hydroxy steroid dehydrogenase deficiency. And as you That's can imagine. That's a big old word <laughs> for a 12 year old. Like, my God. What the hell is that? I yeah. had no clue. Um, from I just knew that it had, or I thought it had lots of negative connotations. It meant that I had to go to the doctors a lot. Um, it meant I had to start medication. It meant that uh, it was something that I couldn't share with my siblings or my friends. And it really kind of put this veil of, of shame and secrecy, secrecy. Over, yeah. over this part of my, my identity and this secrecy really, I think, drove a lot of internal shame about what this big, complex um, word that I didn't really understand was. Um, so as any 12-year-old who just wants to fit in and be normal, uh, in quotation marks, be normal, I kind of shoved this this long and complicated diagnosis into the back of my, my head and kind of locked it in a box and tried to forget about it. And... It was only when I was 21, so many years later, and I'm sure we've all been on a bit of a, a YouTube maze where you're you're going from down the rabbit hole. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So I was down the rabbit hole, uh, understanding a bit more about sex, gender, and sexuality. So you, my listeners, may be in the rabbit hole currently, trying to find find this out. And my rabbit hole led me to a couple of YouTube videos. And one of them was by this amazing intersex activist uh, called Emily Quinn. And she really explained her experiences, her unusual 
challenges and experiences as an intersex person um, in a YouTube channel called Intersexperiences. And that's when I kind of stopped and thought, wow, these, these experiences are very similar. These experiences of going to the doctors from a young age, of, of having this kind of veil of, of shame and secrecy. Um, and I started doing a bit more research into it. And she provided a whole list of all of the 40 plus different variations of sex characteristics. Um, of intersex variations and it was only when I saw the word 17 beta hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase deficiency that I was like damn I'm intersex wow did you feel really seen in that moment yeah definitely I I feel like if for most people or for a lot of people if they were told they were intersex it would be quite a challenging um revelation but for me it really just um unlocked so much understanding about myself and I could really just understand who I was um everything about my like a lot of part not everything a lot of parts of my childhood that I was so confused about just really made sense and most of all, understanding I was intersex really opened up a whole range of resources online. Like, you realised you were part of a larger community and that you weren't Exactly. Yeah. And like listening to their stories about their struggles and, and what they love about themselves and, and what they love about being an intersex person really helped me get over the shame, the internalised shame that I had put on myself. And it was really... a a really rewarding revelation I guess yeah so there's there's a whole heap of amazing intersex activists like Pigeon Pagonis and River Gallo and um Hannah uh Hannah Gabby O'Diel um and then even in Australia we've got people like Morgan Carpenter and and Bonnie Hart and Cody Smith um who all do amazing work for our intersex community and it was really understanding um hearing from them and learning about more about who I was and who they were and how we interacted um, and saw ourselves that uh, I really grew to be very proud of my identity. And I also think that that understanding my sex and how I am intersex, um, it kind of takes you out of this, this binary that we are all grown up to to live within uh so the binary of sex of male and female um really excludes intersex people the binary of women and men excludes transgender gender diverse and and non-binary people so i think by discovering that i was intersex and that i lived outside of this binary it really let me reflect on my sexuality and really allowed me to um, to question my attractions and and that really actually helped me understand uh, my gay identity yeah that's I mean what an incredible journey to not 
figure all of that out or to put all the pieces of the puzzle together until you're 21 it's such like yeah yeah formative time in your sage like I feel like anyone who is 21 or is you know can look back at the time that they were 21 it's such like a formative transformative period of your time where you know you're really figuring yourself out so I could imagine that that would have been a very huge um a moment for you uh in in really finding your true self definitely definitely I, I mean, part of your presentation that you gave to, to my work was actually learning a lot more about the intersex community. And I would love if you could share some of just the general facts, like the percentage of the community that, that is intersex and talk a little bit about people who are found to be intersex at birth and, and the kind of um, treatments that, that they can undergo and, and the surgeries that they can kind of be placed under because of the lack of awareness around uh, the intersex community? Definitely. So basically, people don't really realise how big our intersex community is uh, because it's so rarely talked about and there's so few visible intersex people in our community. But the statistics, our estimated statistics in Australia shows that there's 1.7% of our population who are intersex. It may seem like a small number, but it's actually the same number of people with red hair that there are in the world. And it's also the same number as people with green eyes or uh, same number as people who are twins. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. When you look at it like that, like how many of you know someone with red hair or know someone with green eyes or a twin? Um, Like so, so many. And statistically, you should be knowing as many intersex people as well. We have to ask ourselves, why is intersex such an invisible identity in our community? Why isn't it talked about more? And why don't we hear about their struggles and and their identities and their lived experiences more and it's really to do with what I was talking about at the beginning of this podcast about heteronormativity about that wedding cake model and looking at that bottom tier of sex and also gender And in our community, in our society, we often conflate sex and gender. So hopefully we we now understand the difference that sex is is a set of biological traits and gender is um, socially constructed norms and how we kind of identify ourselves and express ourselves. And in our society, it's really um, put into this binary, as I mentioned again before, this binary of male and female and um, woman and man. And this binary has been really destructive to intersex people and to the intersex community. Because it's completely excluded it. Yeah, yeah. And it means when um, intersex children are born that doctors will actually try and perform surgeries Um, these unnecessary surgeries and other medical interventions to try and change the body of an intersex child to fit into this binary so they can be, in heavy quotation marks, normal, Um, that they can appear normal. And this is done um, 
because that is basically how the the medical community has grown up in this in this society of binaries and heteronormativity. Um, it's not inclusive of of intersex people, and these surgeries are uh, really harmful. So, for example, a clitorectomy could be performed on an intersex child, and that's basically changing the length of a clitoris and is essentially the same as performing say a rhinoplasty on a baby wow completely unnecessary except some of the negative consequences uh that can happen from performing clitorectomies can be loss of sensation not even considering the violation of bodily autonomy that that child should should be able to have is there any, I mean, is there any effect at delaying the surgery until a later date? Like, I mean, is that possible? Is there going to be any other medical outcomes from postponing surgery? So that is a big topic of conversation that we're, yeah. we're working on currently um, because currently there's only two countries in the world that have legislation that protects intersex children. Um, and they are Malta and Iceland. So these surgeries are still happening in Australia and in so many other countries around the world. And to your question about does it matter or does it affect the child if they're delayed? And the, the overall answer is no. Uh, it's important to note that there are some specific some cases. surgeries and some cases where surgeries are saving the lives of intersex children and we as intersex activists are definitely not advocating that all surgeries are banned like if you are saving life save that life and we do not want to put any barriers to do that um, for that to happen what we're saying is that if it is safe to delay this surgery then it should be delayed so that that child can make the decision about their body for themselves. And that is what we call bodily autonomy. And that is really what we're advocating for as intersex activists is for intersex babies to have the right for bodily autonomy. And only last year did the UN actually release a statement saying that these medical interventions, unnecessary medical interventions on intersex children's were violations of human rights and I definitely see it that way that's huge it's such a good step in the right direction yeah to have that awareness come from the level of the UN exactly but it's it's just not talked about enough in our society and not understood enough for it to be a topic of conversation and for people to really advocate for these these rights of these children you you've spoken I mean you've touched on the fact that there's obviously you know, 40 different makeups um of intersex or of yeah of of sex and I want to um I'm curious to know because this is probably a blind spot in in my knowledge is if um a child is presenting as intersex um at birth how do they decide which um sex is pr- the more predominant one if that makes sense like um because obviously at birth, they do um, put children into this binary. And if they are intersex, um, yeah, how do they choose which one they fall under? So really, they look at what the child appears to be most like. 
And often what's the surgery that can be performed to um, the easier surgery or the surgery with the least amount of risk to um, place this baby back into the binary. That's just terrifying because I feel like that that could cause so many problems for the child down the tr- in down the track without like for them to not even be able to um, decide to in which way they want to express themselves or to be seen or um, to be identified as to not give that child a chance to have like you're saying autonomy over their body and auto- autonomy over their their sex and their gender exactly I think um, hopefully we'll be able to create legislation soon that really allow, really protects intersex children from these unnecessary medical interventions and allows them to grow up and understand their body and their intersex variation in an age-appropriate fashion to then be able to make decisions for themselves and and if those decisions would be the same as what the doctors would have decided when they were born at least they're making that decision for themselves and I think I think that means a lot absolutely firstly I just want to thank you very much for sharing your own personal story with us and to provide providing so much more awareness onto the intersex community because it is so fascinating and for me personally before hearing your presentation and hearing you speak so openly about your personal experience I like the intersex community was one that I was just fully not aware of um, and probably had a very outdated perspective of what it meant to be intersex so I really appreciate you like sharing that awareness and sharing your personal experience because it's really opened up my eyes as to what the intersex community is and and you know the the important areas of advocacy that is needed for that community yeah so thank you Mimi no worries I'd really like to talk about um pronouns now with you Could you explain why and how pronouns are used in the queer community? Like, I think this is definitely something that we're seeing um, move into uh, mainstream dialogue, which is so fantastic. We're seeing the adoption of pronouns on huge social media sites such as Instagram and LinkedIn. Maybe a few people might still be unaware of why and how pronouns are used. Yeah, definitely. So, Uh, First, it's important to note that pronouns are like a very common part of our English language and it's really um, a way to talk about someone in the third person without using their name. Um, And the most common pronouns we have are gendered pronouns. So these are like she, her and hers or he, him and his. And there can be gender neutral pronouns like they, them and theirs. And the latter of which is used when speaking about a group of people or when we're speaking about someone who we don't know their gender. I think the rise of of this topic of pronouns in the the queer community really comes from trying to create more inclusivity and acceptance for trans, gender diverse and non-binary individuals. And transgender individuals uh, when they go through gender affirmation they will 
one part of their gender affirmation will be social affirmation and expressing their their pronouns to their their loved ones their close ones and then extending that to their workplace and the whole world and these pronouns may be different to the ones that they grew up with and it's really important to understand pronouns to be able to to accept them and identify them using their pronouns because it's an amazing way to see someone and and to validate someone and for someone to feel comfortable um, being talked about. The latter pronouns, so not gender neutral pronouns, they and them. Uh, so they've actually been around for for ages. I think it dates back to like the 14th century. And actually grammarians first tried to get rid of the the pronouns they and them in the 18th century and be replaced with the the plural he and him. So I, I don't know if you know much about French, but um, in French, the, the plural is is masculine. Um, so I always think you can thank the, the feminist movement for for gender neutral pronouns and keeping <laughs> they and them in our in our vocabulary. But it's definitely used for, for for people who you don't know someone's gender. So you can ask questions like who thinks they can solve this problem or or when talking about someone, you can say they were they were right in in saying this to me, or or they did this, and and it's a very common way of uh, using gender gender neutral language. Thinking back to your wedding cake model, pronouns come into that middle tier of the cake where we're talking about gender. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So someone whose sex is female when it comes to gender may identify otherwise and or may choose you choose to use pronouns to help I guess feel feel more comfortable within the gender they're choosing to prescribe to themselves is that yeah yeah so so someone who's assigned female at birth uh, can grow up and identify as a man and use he him and his pronouns or they can identify as non-binary and use they, them and theirs, uh, or they can grow up and identify as gender diverse and feel like they their gender identity has ties to, to being a woman uh, and is comfortable using she, her and hers, but also understands that they their gender somewhat lives outside of this binary so also uses they, them, theirs, and that can be someone who uses she, they pronouns or he, they pronouns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think predominantly society has taught us to put things in a box that's neat and tidy so it's like easy to see, easy to explain, put a label yeah. on it and go, I understand what that means. Our lovely binary. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think this is fantastic because pronouns are really showing that fluidity within gender in in that they're really breaking down that binary and and showing that, you know, gender can be whatever you personally want to prescribe yourself to um, and really giving the power to that person to decide. I really love that. That must be incredibly powerful for the queer community. Yeah, it is. And I think it's also amazing I mean you mentioned how lots of organizations are taking on ways of expressing your your pronouns and and we're seeing them a lot more in email signatures and I think it's it's such a great way to show allyship 
and to to create a much safer and much more inclusive place in the workplace um, and in in our society by by using your own pronouns no matter um, if they're she her they them he his um, even if you're you're cisgendered by by saying your your pronouns then it's really showing your allyship and creating a very safe and inclusive space for others to share theirs. Yeah, because that was definitely like a a question that I had because I think, um, you know, for some people that are cisgendered um, and heterosexual that they may ask, well, why, what's the point of me sharing my pronouns if they're just, you know, he, him, his or she, her Hers. Hers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, um, grammar wasn't my thing either. Yeah. So that, like, you know, because I think for many people it's like, yeah, well, you know, that's not really my problem because my pronouns are quote-unquote normal um, and, you know, leverage to that binary that you're talking about. So other than allyship, like why is it so important that we, uh, if you do identify as cisgendered heterosexual, that you do actually display your, your pronouns um, you know, in your email signature, if you can, or where possible. Yeah, I think a lot of the queer community have faced a lot of harassment and discrimination, and this has led to a lot of poor mental health um, and a, a whole number of of issues, challenges, and barriers. I think, as a cisgender person. Uh, and as a heterosexual person, someone who lives within that heteronormativity, um, by displaying your pronouns, it's a really good in- indication that you're someone who is an ally. And that really means that you're someone who is inclusive, who's safe, um, who's accepting of, of all variations in our um, of lived experience. So I think taking that to Instagram, whenever I see um, someone who has their pronouns up, I know that they've made a conscious decision to put their pronouns up um, to to show that they're an ally and and to show that that they understand why it's important to to put these pronouns up. And I think if we're all putting our pronouns up, then it makes it a safer and more inclusive space for people uh, with gender diversity who are non-binary or who are transgender uh, to put their own genders up too. You can imagine if no heterosexual cisgender person put up their pronouns. You'd feel like a very intimidating space. Yeah, anyone who did put up their pronouns, it would directly... um, mark them as being outside of this as not being cisgender um, and that can open themselves to a lot more uh, harassment and discrimin- discrimination on the internet um, mm, so I think absolutely. definitely making putting out these pronouns and and creating a more inclusive and safe space is really helping the LGBTIQ plus community. So What's the easiest way that we can um, better understand someone's pronouns, you know, to make sure that we're using the correct terminology when we're speaking to people? Maybe if we've met someone for the first time um, and we and we want to make sure we're using the correct pronouns, what's the best way to engage in that conversation and find out that information that is creating a safe environment? 
Yeah. The single best way of letting someone express their pronouns to you is by taking the lead and introducing yourself with your own pronouns. This really gives them a safe opportunity to then tell them your name their name and their pronouns as well and I think that's really the the best way of making an inclusive space for someone to to share their pronouns with you and on this point I also do want to touch on that everyone makes mistakes and everyone slips up and that is fine and that is okay if you accidentally misgender someone and use someone the wrong pronouns it's okay to apologize say sorry and move on with the conversation I think it's important to note that queer people are really good at reading intentions and they know if someone has slipped up and used the wrong pronouns versus if someone is intentionally misgendering them uh, in an act of discrimination and I think that's a big difference. So I definitely want to want to say that if you do slip up, um, that it's okay and, and you can apologise and move on and try um, use the right pronouns next time. A, a good tip if you meet someone with pronouns that you, you assumed wrong about, then why not use their name and use their pronouns in three sentences in your head? So say three sentences about them, um, about what they're doing, about their job, about their hair colour, their eyes, their, and, and by saying their pronouns repetitively for three times, it kind of puts that in your brain and kind of identifies that them in your brain with that pronoun. Mm, mm, absolutely that's great I mean we've spoken obviously you've mentioned that pronouns are one way that we can show allyship to the LGBTQIA plus community but what are some other ways that you know if if you're not a part of the community but you want to show your allyship and want to help support um, people that do identify um, in that community other than pronouns what can we do Yeah, I think a a good one, um, which kind of ties into pronouns but goes further, is to make sure you're using gender-neutral language. So really reflecting on your assumptions that you have on on whenever you meet someone new um, or hear about a new person. And we're all, um, we all do this. We all have biases and assumptions that we make. Uh, but, But try and make sure that they are are gender neutral so never assume someone's gender really and this can be in um, using they them pronouns whenever talking about someone who you don't know um, their gender making sure to talk about someone's partner or parent or sibling or friend um, in a gender neutral way instead of assuming that they have a girlfriend or a husband um, or their siblings uh, a brother Um, and by by using that gender neutral language it's really indicating that that you're a safe um, and inclusive person that you're aware um, of the importance of gender neutral language and that you're really an ally. I think the final great way of being an ally is by really educating yourself. 
And I think it really shouldn't fall on these minorities, on any minorities, to educate the wider population about uh, their challenges, barriers, struggles and needs. Um, it really should be on the wider community to understand how to be more inclusive, more aware, understand the differences um, between the LGBTIQ and plus, what they all mean, and really be, be accepting, understanding and open of all of these different lived experiences. That is such good advice. I think, you know, wrapping up, Mimi, what you've really brought today is a really good clarification is how the queer community intersects with, you know, what we define as a woman or women. I think what you've shown us is that we need to stop thinking that women, uh, <laughs> that breaking down that binary of what we perceive a, wo a woman to be. And I think that, you know, for me particularly who hosts a podcast for um, predominantly people who identify as women um, to be aware that, yes, everyone may identify as women, but people's journeys and what that might look like and the different experiences and lived experiences may be very different to the perceived perception of what a woman might be facing um, in, in my own eyes. Um, do you want to just touch on that a little bit more? Yeah, of course. I think it's really important to understand the diversity that's within our female community, within our, our within all women. When we're talking about women, I think we're really talking about um, that gender, that second tier of the wedding cake. Um, so it's important to note that no, not all women have periods, not all women have vaginas not all women naturally produce estrogen there's so much diversity but really what connects us is how we identify and and the community that we're we're in mm. I think that's also such a good learning for myself in producing this podcast and really being aware that you know, when I am doing an episode that talks about periods to be aware that this isn't an issue that faces all women and that I may only be speaking to a certain group of women when I am doing an episode like that as such. And I think definitely. I and when talking about about periods and pap smears and all of that, it can also um, these are also things that that can affect some men, some say transgender men. Um, who need to be getting pap smears and and dealing with periods. Mm, absolutely. And so, yeah, I really, I really encourage my audience to to correct me when I am not being more aware of the diversity within our um, within gender because I think that's something that I'm learning and trying to do. But I am aware that I still slip up and have limitations to that. But I hope that you know by being educated like people like yourself, Mimi, and doing my own education outside of this and learning that, um, yeah, that this podcast can grow to be a more um, accepting space and diverse space for, for everyone who identifies as a woman. Exactly. And I think, I think, as I was saying with pronouns, everyone slips up, everyone can improve and has space to learn, but it's really that intention of, of um, wanting to learn more and wanting to be a more, more inclusive. That's really the most important part of allyship. 
And I think George, that's that's really seen with with what you're doing with with putting your own pronouns up by by even having me on this podcast. Um, it really shows your your allyship and your your intention to to become more inclusive. Um, so I think that's really great. Thanks, Mimi. I mean, it's a small step, but hopefully we can all start taking larger steps in the right direction because there's obviously still a lot, like a lot more that we can all do and and um and do to advocate for. Uh, the queer community. So before we say goodbye, I want to know what resources does AGA have available to all of our listeners if they're willing, if they're wanting to learn more and where can we find you guys? Of course. So you can find Agenda Agenda on Instagram or Facebook. You can also Google us at www.genderrights.org.au and or just by Googling Agenda Agenda. And on our website, we've got a whole range of resources um, for uh, transgender, gender diverse and intersex people and also for allies to understand these issues, needs and and new identities and and lived experiences. I'd also really recommend that if you are transgender, gender diverse or intersex um, to reach out to Agenda Agenda. We run a whole number of peer support events and peer navigation, have huge amount of resources and hopefully are a really open and supportive um, place for, for you to, to meet new people like you. Um, and even if you have questions, please do reach out. Um, we're always happy to help and answer them. Well, thank you so much, Mimi. I mean, this has just been so fantastic and I really can't thank you and, you know, the incredible work that AGA do for the community. Um, it's just so fantastic to have people like yourself doing such great work for the community and advocating and raising awareness for people like myself to learn more and um, to become better allies. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of The Wow. I hope you enjoyed it. I release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe or follow and tune in next week. Otherwise, in the meantime, you better come join us on Instagram at thewowpodcast underscore for more updates. Lastly, a friendly reminder that the information shared in this podcast is general advice only and does not take into account your personal situation or needs. Where appropriate, please consult a professional first. Thanks, guys. Have a good week. And I'm on the road